start by praying. Dear Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to, to speak in front of these women. And Lord, I know that you have a message for each of us individually, dear Lord. And I ask you to open up our spiritual eyes and our hearts and just give us understanding. Help the words that I say be straight from you. And we just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I told them last night that they were lucky I had a few days to recover. I just came back from Israel Thursday with the group. And so for uh, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and most of Sunday, I was pretty much in brain fog. So <laughs> somehow the fatigue and the jet lag just really, you know, warped me. I, I had all these things to do around the house. I was just sitting there going, okay, I need to do something. But So I want to thank Corey because I sent her all my notes just before I left, and she's the one who put them together into your outline. So I just really thank her. She did a great job. And our computers don't seem to be speaking to each other. So when we had a handicap. They're annoyed, I guess. I want to talk about a heart to know my way. We've talked about a heart to know the joy of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord. I want to talk about the way of the Lord, that his path. We're going to start with Isaiah 30:21, And most of the scriptures I'm going to read, I'm going to read them out of two different translations because I like to do that. <laughs> I just look them up in all different ones and like to do that. So bear with me. It says, um, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. And that was New King James. New Living says, your own ears will hear him right behind you. A voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether it's to the right or to the left. And I read those scriptures and I thought, wow. You know, that would be a great way to live your life, knowing that you're directed of God, knowing that he's saying, no, go this way, no, go that way. And we can have that. And I, I thought, you know, what, what steps can I take in my life to bring that about? And you might want the same thing. I don't know many Christians who don't want to hear from God, who don't want to say, the Lord said, you know, a lot of people, I, I have friends that are Christians, and sometimes you'll be talking to them, and one of my friends said, I just never hear from the Lord. And I said, oh, you really do. You just, you know, his whole word is all about hearing from the Lord. But, you know, it would be really nice to be walking so close to God that you know you heard from him. And I think I thought about this, and I thought, how do we get to that point? How, how do we get there? And I thought, you know, I think it has to start with desire. You have to want it. You have to passionately want it. We need to desire to know God's way. Not just a passing, oh, gee, that would be really nice, or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go seek the Lord because I've got a real problem, or I've made a mess out of something, and I'm going to go really pray. And, and all those, you know, that's fine. But that's not the way God wants us to live our lives. All of us can probably say that we really want a relationship with God to hear him, to hear from him. Jeremiah 6.16 tells us that sometimes we choose not to follow God's direction. It says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And New Living says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads. Look around. Ask for the old godly way. Walk in it. Travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. 
And you know, I, I read that and I thought, that describes our society today. That describes the era we're living in. Unfortunately, that sometimes describes some churches and some Christians. Have you ever gotten to a point where you, you thought, God really kind of wants me to do this because the scripture all says this, but I kind of wanted to be, do this, just a little scared. And you tell God, you know, God, I really, I want, I want what I want. I want this. And I've, I've done that in my life before we go. And it never works out well, by the way. If you've never done that, don't do it. But, <laughs> but you know, you're, you're like saying, okay, God, I know you would rather this, but maybe we could just, just skew it a little bit because I want to do this. But what the word tells us is that we're supposed to look back and see what does God say? What is the godly way? Because God doesn't change. Society would have us believe that the mores of society have changed, that n things that were immoral 20 years ago aren't, that it's okay to, to do this instead of that, because times have changed, and we now have evolved or something. But God's ways haven't changed. And if we're going to really walk in his way, we have to follow his path. We have to to live our life that way. And then I ask myself, is that me that sometimes says, you know, God, I, I'd rather do this? Or am I willing to put aside my desire and only desire God and his way? Am I willing to let what I want go and want what God wants? And I'm not talking about a passing friendship. I'm talking about an overwhelming desire to know God in all of his attributes, in all of his glory, in all of his power. A desire to be so close to God that when we wake up, that's what we think about, and we long to spend time with him. I have a, I have a good friend who writes a blog, and I try to read it every day. And when I was kind of getting ready to, to teach a while ago, I read one of his blogs, and it really kind of was very timely. He said, I have over the past few days been fascinated and drawn to the many scriptures in the Bible about the presence of God. I so want to be in his presence and experience his glory. I am hungry for more of God. He is all I think about. He is all I want. During the day, my mind is often taken to that place where I'm thinking about the presence of God in my life. How now and over my lifespan... And I'm truly overwhelmed. I get tears just thinking about it. And I read that and I thought, wow, that is so good. I had to sit with it for a minute. I really did. And I thought, is that, is that my life? Does that reflect me? It kind of brought me up short. I sat and I, I just evaluated my desire to be with God. How, how passionate is my desire to know God? And I think sometimes we need to sit and think about those things. Because it's so easy to just kind of flow through life. And so there's two questions I ask myself, and I'd like you to ask yourself that this week <laughs> in your devotions. What interferes with my total desire to know God? What gets in my way? My busy schedule? The things I'm doing? The things I want to do? I mean, what gets in my way of my total desire to know God? Sometimes, why is it so hard to always follow him completely? 
not just part way, completely. To just be in it for the long haul. Psalms 73, 24, and 25, David writes, You will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. New Living says you guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom, whom have I in heaven besides you? I desire you more than anything on earth. I desire you more than my success, more than my IRAs, <laughs> more than my cash flow, more than my family, more than my home, more than my vacation plans. I mean, these are just everyday things. What they're saying is, I desire you more than. And until you fill the more than in with something that's important to you, you're not going to know if you desire God enough. What takes first precedence in your life? All those other things are important. God doesn't want us to go live in some cloistered convent somewhere. We saw a couple of those in Israel. They didn't look that great. But, you know, he wants us out and among life. He wants us with people. But he wants to be first. And for some odd reason, when I was reading through this the other day to get ready, um, in my brain, odd things pop up sometimes, but in my brain, I thought of a couple classes I've taken. Anybody who's ever taken um, a business class in management or a psych psychology, sociology class has heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Deeds. It's a famous pyramid. And his main thing is that the basics are food, water, breath. You know, you have to breathe in order to move up the scale. And then safety. You want to be safe and secure. You want to have somewhere you can be that's safe. And then you need to belong. You need love. You need friendship. You need companionship. And then you need self-esteem to know who you are. And then his ultimate thing is that you need self-actualization. And what came to my mind is that we need a Christian hierarchy of needs. <laughs> and the basic is we need to be saved. We need to have given our life to the Lord. Salvation is the base. So you start the pyramid at salvation. And then you need to feel secure in God. You need to feel safe in that salvation. You need to know that you know that you're saved, that God, that Jesus died for you and that you're saved. That's your safety. And we need to belong. We need to not only belong to God, but we need to belong to each other. And that's what these Bible studies are about. That's what... Uh, women to Women is about. That's what growth groups are about. We need Christian friends. We need to be able to spend time together. It says that iron sharpens iron. We need to talk about God together. That's the next rung. The other one is self-esteem. We need to know who we are in God. We need to know we're a child of the king. He loves us. He loves us so much that he was willing to give up his son to have us. He let him die for me. Like I said, I just came back from Israel, and, and when you stand there in Caiaphas's place where they found the, the first century floor, and you think, here, right here, right here, Jesus was beaten, right here. This is where he started down the hill. And you think, God, you did that for me. I need to know that. That's, that's my esteem in God. And the the highest one, rather than self-actualization, should be God-actualization. 
because God needs to be actualized in every single area of our life. We need to know him. We need to want to know him. And it's, that's the same desire my friend expressed in his blog, to get up and long to be with the Lord, to want to see his glory, to want to be in his presence. So I was when you, when you put these together, at least mine, my mind work, might work different, but I, I pray about them and I get this concept in my brain or the direction I want to go, and it all seems to come together in my head. You know, and you think it out and go, okay, fine. That's what I think the Lord wants to say. And then you have to put it down on paper, and it doesn't flow together quite as well as it was working in my brain. And um, so I was praying, and I thought, I need a good example. And so what we've come up with is we're going to talk about human relationships. We're going to talk about love. <laughs> when you are seriously involved with someone and hoping for a deeper relationship like marriage, Many times, your ever-waking moment, at least part of it, is spent thinking about that person. You know, you go shopping and you think, oh, he'd look so good in that shirt, just the color of his blue eyes, or he would really love this. He'd like to go there. This is our favorite song. You know, you go through all that. And um, if you've ever been with somebody who's in love, it drives you crazy. When my niece first started um, dating the guy she's now married to, um, all you heard about was Brian. Brian's so smart. You know, Brian's in my class at college, and he said this. And Brian's so cute. And Brian this, and we're going to do that. And finally, you would, after you were around her for about a half a day, you'd say, stop it, Stephanie. Just stop it. <laughs> but when you're that person, when you're in love, you would do whatever you can to please your partner. You, would, you suddenly will do things you don't even like <laughs> and pretend you do. <laughs> you will enjoy things that you never thought you'd enjoy. And even if you don't, it looks like you do. But you'll do them. You'll seek them out. You'll say, look, I, I read this. This is going on. I know you'd like this. Because you want to. You want to do it for them. That's what you do it for. And going to the next step, you get married. You're consumed with wedding plans and honeymoon and how we're going to start our life together and moving in together and all these things. And then what happens? Life. <laughs> all of a sudden you have work and bills, responsibilities. Maybe you have babies and all the things that go with them. Your ever-waking thought is not of your partner. Sometimes none of your thoughts are for him for a while. Um, Things no longer, you no longer pursue him the way you did, but sometimes not at all. And then what happens? Some people fall out of love. I remember when I was in my 20s, I'd been in a friend of mine's wedding, and uh, she was married to a guy she dated for like three years, and they seemed so happy together, had a little boy. And she'd been married about five or six years, and she called another friend and I wanted to meet for lunch. So we met for lunch, and she informed us that they were getting a divorce. And I said, why? I mean, you guys are great together. Why are you getting a divorce? What happened? That was my whole thing. What happened? What did he do? You know? And she said, nothing. We just don't really love each other anymore. I don't get excited when I see him. I, I don't, you know, the spark's just not there. I think I could be happier. And, and at the time, I thought, that is a really stupid reason to get a divorce. But, you know, that's what happens in human relationships when we don't devote the time to them. 
suddenly you just don't have the same feelings. So I think that's what happens between us and God. When we're first saved, it's amazing. We can't spend enough time in his word. We can't spend enough time praying. We can't spend enough time talking about him. When I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I used to have some friends, and, and in our youth group, we'd have little Bible studies, and it was so fun to be studying something and get together and say, what did you think of this? Look at this is what God said. This is what the Holy Spirit was talking to me about. We'd even argue theologically about things. But I really, that really helped me because it gave me the desire to go find out for myself, <laughs> to go study, to dig down. And those were really great times in my life for growing spiritually. And so, but all of a sudden, we don't have time to do that. We get complacent. We let other interests intrude. Sometimes we let our old desires intrude. We let the very thing we came out of seep back into our life. And it takes the place. It pulls us away from God. We still love God. We just aren't listening very closely to him. We decide on our path. We make our plans. We give lip service to God, and we wonder why we don't hear from him. We're over in the weeds somewhere, and he's on the highway. And we wonder. Psalms 37, 4 and 5 says, Then you will take delight in the Lord, and he will answer your prayers. Commit your future to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act on your behalf. That's out of the net translation, New English. And I thought, I like the way that was worded, but all of us know it better in the New King James. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He will bring it to pass. We love the first part of those two verses. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We love that. When I grew up, they used to put plaques on the wall. Now they do really pretty pictures with scriptures written in them. And they, they write that one a lot. There's a lot of the scriptures that, and it stops right there sometimes. But the next part of it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he'll bring it to pass. And while I was reading this over, these, the three words that jumped out to me that I thought we'd talk about a little bit are delight. What is delight? How do you delight in something? You have joy. You have joy in the Lord. You, you love being in his presence. You delight yourself. You're happy. So we need that. We need that level. We need to be happy in the Lord and joyful. And then it says commit. How, how do we commit to the Lord? I think it means we follow him. We let him direct. <laughs> we let him be in front. And then the next one was trust. And I thought, what does trust mean here? I think it means wait. And, and that's the hardest part for me is waiting. I'm not a waiter. <laughs> I just, you know, what really served me well in the business world of being a problem solver and seeing a problem and going, what would happen if we did that? What would happen if we did that? Could we live with it? What's the worst thing that can happen if we move forward? And then doing it doesn't work in my spiritual life at all because I'm not in charge. And sometimes I get real antsy waiting. But that's what it says. It's very hard to follow God if we're in front. I mean, it really is, you know. If you've ever been with a little kid who wants to lead the parade, but he doesn't know where he's going, and he keeps turning around, you know, to watch, to see if you're there, 
We can't follow God if we're in front. We need to wait. We need to trust. And I think that what we really need is a filter. We need a God filter. And everything in our life, if it's filtered through God and his desires, if we walk righteously and seek to do right, we have the assurance that God will direct our path. I have a camera at home that has various lenses you can put on it, and I have several filters. They create special effects. They create special color enhancements. They, they do things. You screw them on the end of the lens. When you look through them, what you see is through the filter. When it comes in and takes the picture, what you get is through the filter. And I thought, that's what I need in my life. What I see that I want or I, I think I need needs to be through God's filter. I need to see it the way God sees it. What comes into my life needs to be filtered. That's where we get in trouble sometimes is what we let into our lives. It needs to be filtered through God, just like that lens cover. And I think if we do that, we see a whole new direction in God. Isaiah 26, 8 says, Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you, and the desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. New Living says, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. We trust him. We demonstrate that we trust God by obeying him and waiting. In a devotion I read recently by Ann Graham Lott, she said, the changes brought about by God's word in your life and mine are not primarily for the purpose of making us good or successful or happy or wealthy or prosperous or problem-free. The primary purpose of these changes is that we might know God fully and intimately so that we can reflect him in all we are, in all we say and do, bringing glory to the one who created us. That's what God's word is about. We say we don't hear from God, read the Bible more. That's where most of his direction comes from. And God's word needs to change us. It is for our benefit. His promises are true, but it needs to change us. It needs to be part of that filter we talked about. I think the first step in our journey is to passionately seek God, first, last, and in everything. And you say, well, I can't do that. You know, I, I'm busy. <laughs> But, you know, we can live our lives and still seek him. John 10.10 says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's new living. Phillips puts it this way. I came to bring them life, far more life than they ever had before. God wants us to have a full, abundant life. He wants us to have all those things. But he wants to be first. He needs to be first. So, I was thinking about examples of this, people, and the first one that came to mind is Daniel. Daniel was a very important man in Babylon. He really was. He was a high-ranking official. When, when you read in, in Daniel about how he was praying in, in his room upstairs, looking out his window, that would be the house of a rich person. And Daniel was important, but that isn't what's remembered about Daniel. The most mentioned is his relationship with God. A relationship that Daniel was willing to die for. God spoke to Daniel. He rescued Daniel. He blessed Daniel. 
Daniel was known as a man of God. And that's what was important in his life. But he lived his life. He had things to do. Enoch, Genesis 5, 21 to 24, says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the, er, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I thought, wow, <laughs> there's the ultimate. <laughs> but Enoch lived a life, a really long life. He had sons and daughters. He had a family. By 365, he had multiple generations of grandchildren. But, you know, Enoch had a life. But what he is noted for is his walk with God. And he walked so closely with God that God took him home. I thought that would be the ultimate. Mary. Mary was willing to step into the unknown because God asked her to. I think, how often do I want all the definitions before I move? How often do I say, well, yeah, but if I do that, Lord, somebody's going to criticize me, laugh at me, you know, not like me. I mean, you know, all the things. How, how many times do I pull up a little bit short? Mary didn't. Just one thing, how can this be? And then when he explained it to her, she went, okay. She submitted. She stepped into the unknown. She didn't know what was going to happen. And yet she trusted God. And I'm sure if we went around the room, you guys could come up with dozens of others that would be good examples. Think of them this week. So how do we rekindle this desire? The desire to truly know God. To be so close to him that we can feel his heart and hear his whisper. When I was a little kid, I thought of this when I was reading this over. When I was a little kid, little child, I'd, I was very close to my grandfather. Loved my grandpa. And sometimes I would get scared or I would fall down and bang my knee up or something. And I would, if grandpa was around, I would run to grandpa. And for his time, he was pretty tall. He was like 6'2", and back then that was pretty tall. But he had long arms, and he was a plumber. He had rough hands, and he would be sitting in a chair, and I'd run up, and he'd take me in his arms, and he'd wrap those long arms around me. And I'd lay my head on his chest, and I can still remember hearing his heart. You could lay there and hear his heart, and he would bend down and whisper in my ear, it's okay, honey. Grandpa loves you. It's okay. And I thought, that's what I want from God. That's the relationship I want. I want to be so close to God that I hear his heartbeat. I want to feel his breath when he whispers in my ear. I desire that. And so you say, well, how can I get that? I think you start by asking him, and then you pursue him. 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one says, God's way is perfect. All God's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look for him for protection. God's way is perfect. His promises prove true. He's a shield. Anybody who was here Sunday morning with Pastor Joe and his shield, just think of God. God saying, no, no, no. You know, they're with me, no. You've got to be pretty close to somebody if they're going to use their shield to protect you. And so when I was, when I was going to end this, I thought, how do you end this? Because next week we, we kind of go on to a new phase of it. But how do you end this? And I thought of a song, and I promise I'm not going to sing it. I'm not a singer. <laughs> but I'm going to say the words. You all know it. 
It's change my heart, oh God. Make me ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Let me be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and shape me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. Let me be like you. And we need to remember that we're the clay. The clay doesn't get to decide what it's going to be. It just submits to the potter. So this week, I'd really challenge you to ask yourself some of these questions and engage your desire on some kind of a scale. And let's ramp it up a little bit because, you know, we need to be that close to God. So thank you.